to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Winning on the PGA Tour is hard. Tiger Woods and Sam Snead are tied for the most wins all time at 82. During the history of the PGA Tour, going back into the 1860s, nearly 4,500 tournaments have been played with less than 1,000 individuals winning. Knowing that, you could say winning just one PGA Tournament is amazing. Jacksonville native Mark McCumber has 10 PGA Tour wins to his credit, including the 1988 Players' Championship held in his backyard at TPC Sawgrass in Ponte Vedra Beach. It would be interesting to dissect how many of those 1,000 tour winners actually won tournaments in their hometowns. I bet it's not a lot, and it's something McCumber holds dear. As the Players' Championship descends upon us, teeing off March 9th, McCumber joins me to talk about his grand win more than three decades ago, this year's fractured tournament because of Live Golf, and what he's up to these days as a golf course architect and designer. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Mark McCumber has some great PGA wins to his name. Aside from the 1988 Players' Championship, he also won the 1994 Tour Championship. He's designing golf courses these days, and he has a fresh perspective centered around happiness and not money. Wait until you hear what he has to say. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I look forward to it. Yeah, certainly. So before we get into the Players' Championship and a bevy of other golf-related topics, I wanted to start here. You know, aside from being a world-class golfer, you're a world-class golf course designer. I saw you were in my neck of the woods uh, last year in 2022 doing some improvements to Suntree Country Club. That's literally about seven minutes from my house. So tell me, what type of improvements were you doing down here on Florida's Space Coast? Well, those 36 holes at Suntree are wonderful Florida golf. Great example. And uh, I, I knew Steve LaMontagne, the director of golf, general manager, uh, I believe general manager for years, but he played the tour. We overlapped a little bit. Uh, and John Cockrum is the superintendent, two great guys. And uh, we had the opportunity to remodel one of their holes, uh, the part, a par three, uh, and set a pattern for what we're going to do over the next several years and kind of refurbishing the course, redoing bunkers, making some changes in the course. But probably the biggest change someone would notice is we built a short game area, uh, just uh, beside the clubhouse and the practice range that existed, a beautiful practice area with a big putting green, big short game green, three different bunkers, actually four bunkers, a teaching tee for the professionals. Uh, so we had the grand opening of that several months ago, and I the reports are that the membership is enjoying it. It was a pleasure to work with those guys. Yeah, that's really cool. Steve is such a great guy, and you know I've known him for many years reporting here in Brevard County for 20 years, and I've been reporting up there in Jacksonville where you are for just a little bit more than a year now. So uh, you know, down here on the Space Coast, we certainly have some really great golfing, and it's cool. Suntree Country Club's kind of in the central area of the county. 
We got another nice little golf club here called Duran. And I like that they have a short course, a nine-hole course. It's actually under the lights. I've played that before. So those are always fun. But, uh, you know, obviously, probably not, not anything too, uh, too elaborate, you know, from what you were working on at Suntree. But did you get to take in a space launch while you were here? I did, but you got to remember, I grew up in Northeast Florida, so I have seen I've, I've seen dozens. Actually, when I know there's a launch, we can go in our backyard overlooking this lake right on the coastline in Ponte Vedra, and I can normally see the rockets take off. That's that's really pretty cool. One year I was driving home from playing at Doral on tour. As I'm coming up I-95, my family is in the car, but the kids were little, and we our mouth dropped. We see this big glare of, of fire in a rocket, and the way we were on 95, it's like it was coming right out of the highway. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. We're definitely spoiled because I grew up here watching space shuttle launches, and I also got to cover the space shuttle program for about the last 20 launches. And unless you get to see one up close, I tell you, there is nothing like it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty amazing what mankind can do. Uh, when they put their mind or something, it's hard to believe we sent people to space. I one time had the pleasure a couple times of playing golf with Alan Shepard. And I, I remember he made a putt for our pro-am team one year at the Pensacola Open. And he was the last one to have a chance to help us on the hole. And I was laughing. He said, why are you laughing, Mark? I said, well, Mr. Shepard, you, you were the first uh, human uh, uh, American astronaut to sit on the top of the rocket. I was just thinking, you can't possibly be nervous over this eight-footer. <laughs> we had a laugh about that for years. Oh, that's great. I am incredibly jealous that you got to play golf with Alan Shepard, so that, that's so cool to hear. Well, let, let's start talking about then the Players' Championship because it gets underway. Uh, the tournament itself, March 9th, obviously there's going to be several things leading up to the tournament during the week, but it takes place, like you said, Ponte Vedra Beach at uh, TPC Sawgrass, a place you know very well as you grew up in nearby Jacksonville. You won here in 1988. You didn't just win, you won by four strokes. So take us back to 1988 as you are playing this course, you're in your hometown, you've got your hometown fans there. What was that like? It was obviously very special. I mean, I always enjoyed, I always felt very grateful that I got to do something for a living, which most people call work, that I enjoyed so much. I mean, I love playing golf. I love the wholesome competition against me, against the course, hoping you can post the score lower than everybody else. Um, but I played 20 straight years in that championship. Um, uh, I you know, as a little kid growing up at a Hyde Park public course in Jacksonville, I would make putts under the lights on the putting green, uh, right? I could see my home from the putting green, and I would think this is to win the old Jacksonville Open. Little did I know that the Jacksonville Open would turn into the Players' Championship, arguably the strongest field of the year every year with international players, and that that would be the tournament I ended up winning here. Um, it was very special. It was a special week all all in all, I was playing some of the best golf of my career that year. I'd had one round over par in the previous, I believe, five or six tournaments I played, and that was at the Honda uh, down at Eagle Trace when it was, you know, blowing 40 miles an hour. I shot one over that day, and I came into I came into the tournament really, really playing well. As a matter of fact, for years I would over practice when we came to Jacksonville. I would play practice rounds Monday, Tuesday, and I'd be worn out. So I made, I made the decision to not overdo it. I already knew the golf course. I was a veteran. I played there ever since we first went to that course when Jerry Payne won five, six years before I won. And um, I made up my mind to play very little. I played nine holes on Tuesday. Wednesday, I was out there just putting and chipping. And Lee Trevino, 
who was the analyst for NBC that week. And Bob Golby, uh, the former Masters champion, uh, was one of the on-course reporters. And they said, hey, Mark, would you go play nine with us so you can kind of tell us what's going on in the course because you know it better than anybody. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that for y'all. And I went out and shot 30. <laughs> it just hit it perfect. <laughs> and Lee Trevino laughed at me. He said, Mark, here's my advice. Don't stuff your toe getting out of bed. Drive very careful coming to the course. But you're really in good form. <laughs> and that was a little boost of confidence. Little did I know that it would probably be the best ball striking and most solid week in every aspect of the game that I ever had in my 20 years on tour. Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the tournaments, you had, you know, a couple of victories via, uh, you know, extra hole playoffs and things like that. But this one, I mean, you you were pretty much in control. When uh, was it the second day, the third day, the last day? When was it? did it start to sink in that, you know, I'm, I'm going to win this thing? Well, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that I am realistic to know that it's not over until it's over. I mean, that's a... You know, what do they say about the larger ladies things? It's not over till then. <laughs> but uh, but you've got to play all the holes. We've seen things happen. Crazy things happen. I still remember as I was working for ABC uh, as an on-course reporter, uh, John the, the Vandeveld, the Frenchman who had the meltdown on the final hole at Carnoustie to lose the Open. That happened after my win, but I was the realist. I knew that until you're done, you got to pay attention. One shot at a time, stay patient, focus on what you're doing. But I told you the story about playing the day before that afternoon with that nine holes with Trevino and Golby. So when I teed up with Hale Irwin and Ben Crenshaw on Thursday morning, and I get to the final hole, we finished on the front nine. I hold a hundred and something yard wedge shot, spun it back in the hole to shoot 65. I figured, man, this is just, again, like Trevino said, just don't get in your own way. And normally in a four-day tournament, the fortunate times I've had a chance to win, You've got to struggle through one period, whether it's a few hours on the course or whether it's nine holes here or there where maybe you get out of rhythm and you got to find a way to post the score. That was kind of how I felt when we played on Friday. But I found a way. I think I shot 71. Was not in the lead, but one or two shots back. But from then on, I mean, I made a bogey on my eighth hole of the day, number 17, on Friday, and never came close to making a bogey until the last hole where I kind of played for a bogey was I had a five-shot lead on that top 18th with water down the left. I played to the right rough, played just short of the green, chipped it up and two-putted. So, you know, you never know. I will say one thing. Once I hit the drive on 18 and I wasn't in trouble, uh, I felt like I should be able to handle this, and and thankfully I did. Yeah, once you get through 17, because that's the one where you can really rack up some strokes, isn't it? That, that's That's got to be a scary hole when you're staring at that several days in a row. Well, I've often said as an architect, think you're building a 130-yard par 3 and draw a white line around it and call it out of bounds. That's almost how that hole plays. Yes, you can go to a drop circle maybe 30 yards in, but I think at times that shot's harder than just re-teeing. But... Um, I had the privilege to work with a wonderful professional who won, I think, eight times on tour, was a great teacher, Bert Yancey. And Bert helped me in 1982 develop a pre-shot routine where I would visualize the shot from behind the ball, trust what I was going to do, and then let it happen. I'll never forget, I had that down to a science that year, and I was behind my ball. I visualized hitting a little nine iron to the middle of the green. That's all I needed to do. As I walked into it, another thought flashed in my mind for just a second. I had a break in the concentration, a little bit of a negative thought. I said, nope, 
he always taught me, go back and start again. So I was able to block that out, and I hit on the middle of the green. And once that landed on the green, I did know, because my miss was always to the right, and all the trouble on 18 to the left, I knew that I could miss, miss, miss my way down the hole. If that were what, if that's what happened, it's still, it's still win the tournament. But it was uh, the seven people get your attention, whether you're just trying to make the cut or win the tournament. It's definitely a, and it's more mental than it is physical. You know, you could set any tour player on there on a given day and on a hundred shots, he's probably going to hit 99 of them on the green. So uh, it, it's a pretty, Pete always liked, he used to always tell me when I bust, uh, he said, Mark, I like you guys are the best in the world. I want to test you mentally and physically. And I think the stadium course at uh, TPC is one of the best at doing that. You ever cannonball into the water on 17 like has been done in the past? No, no, I don't like anything, a cannonball or a golf ball in the water. <laughs> I, no, I, I, the only thing I've done in the water there is stick and catch a beautiful bath uh, with my son when he was little, and now I'm taking my grandson out there. So it's still some great fishing. So that's the only thing I ever want to have to do with water at, uh, the, at the Players Club. <laughs> But you know, you know, as I mentioned in the intro earlier, you're a ten-time winner on the PGA Tour, and aside from the Players' Championship, which is kind of loosely called the fifth major, uh, you know, you also won the Tour Championship in 1994. So six years later, as you were going through that, I mean, were you drawing on, uh, you know, winning the Players? Were you, you know, what was your mindset? And uh, where, you know, can you rank either of those, or are they equal in their amazing, you know, victoriness? Well, that's, that's a good question because, you know, each each tournament win is associated with something special in your life. The win, I think it was my 14th event as a Monday qualifier, Doral 79, my first full rookie season. That was so special, it's hard to imagine. I mean, uh, it's it just, it, it, it's it's like a kid going to Disney. I mean, it, it's just so exciting. It, with all that goes with it, something you never experienced. The second win, the first Western Open win against the great field on the hardest course we played on tour up at Butler National in Chicago, that was more satisfying than thrilling because I was very fortunate to, to squeak ahead of Tom Watson with a birdie on the last hole. Uh, and all of a sudden, I, some of the veteran players would come up and congratulate me later. And I remember one of them, Jim Colbert, said to me, Mark, that really feels good. That Now you've solidified in your own mind that the first one wasn't just by chance. Winning is winning. I don't take away from anybody that wins one time in their career. It's hard to do. And then from then on, there's different dealings you have with wins. The Players' Championship was probably the most satisfying. It's my hometown. I grew up here. Uh, my brothers and I actually had the original contract to build that, physically build the golf course. Uh, and I got my tour card in the summer that it was being built, so we ended up turning that contract over to a different contractor so there'd be no conflict of interest. So I'm very invested in this course and in this area, um, and it was the strongest field of the year. Uh, it meant a lot. And then to get wins in my 40s, that 94 year, I capped off a three-win season with that Winnipeg Tour Championship on a course that is so renowned, the Olympic Club in San Francisco. What a beautiful, beautiful course. I'd had a couple seconds on the West Coast, but I'd never won on the West Coast. And that was another sense of satisfaction. And, and this may sound silly, but... To get to double-digit wins, I to me, that was kind of a personal goal. If I could win tournaments, to have to use two numbers to describe it, I thought that would be just a nice little bookmark in my in my business, my professional career. 
Oh, that's so cool. And that's such a cool story. And, you know, obviously, congratulations on all your success there. And, you know, you're going to be calling the players this year. You'll be doing analysis for that. And uh, you can also tell us where and, you know, where people can find that. But, you know, uh, obviously, this year's players is, you know, obviously mired in some adversity. 25 players have been, who have left for live, you know, are not allowed to play in the tournament this year, including last year's champion Cameron Smith. So, you know, what are your thoughts on what's going on with the tournament and with live and all of those different things surrounding uh, the players championship this year? Well, the tournament's still going to be special. It's still going to have, you know, arguably maybe mathematically the strongest field of golf. I'm very sad uh, about all the turmoil in golf. I really am. It's a game that, you know, we have occasionally have a little dust up, but it's basically, it's built around integrity and a, uh, the love of the game, we all play it because of those reasons. Uh, you hate to see this. I've never experienced this before in my life. I guess maybe with the PGA of America, the tournament division that the players separated, there's probably a little angst there. But I don't have any problem with free enterprise. I think competition is healthy in business. It makes both products better. I just hate the way it's, it's come about. I hate that Cam Smith's not going to be here. He's a wonderful young man, and what a great player he is. But, you know, I've tried to figure this out because I've got a son that plays the tour that if I work for a business and I decide to go work for another business, I can see why the two may not gel and you can't pick back and forward. I'm not into the politics of it. I just hope these things can get settled amicably where everybody can move on and all the vibe of golf can stay positive. Yeah, you know, PGA and Liv, they're probably going to have to find some way to coexist, aren't they? Because what's gone on over the first year of Liv's existence and the way the PGA and them have been, I guess you'd call it interacting, it, it just, that, that's not something that can sustain long-term. No, it, it's not. You know, I, I've always said, not just me, golf is such a great um, comparison to life. It, it's not, golf is not about how you handle your good shots. You know, I didn't learn a whole lot when I hit a good shot. I learned more when I hit a bad shot. What did I do wrong? Or if I made a mistake in judgment, what do I do the next time not to repeat that mistake, just like life? And when I see what's going on in golf, I can't help but just to think mentally, wow, what a reflection of society. I mean, no one can agree on anything. We, <laughs> we can't agree whether something's white or black when we both look at it. If we come from different viewpoints, we don't seem to respect one another anymore or not like when I was a kid, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, maybe it's just a sign of the times we're living in that this, this, all this, nobody can agree on anything. And we're seeing that get into golf. I do think it has to be resolved. I do think it will be. And I think golf will continue to be a wonderful game that brings out the best of people. And and it provides, I love the fact that I can be in my seventies now. And if one of the grandkids wants to go, I can take him to the course and hit a few shots with him still and and teach him things. I don't know if an NFL player who played for any length of time can go out at 72 and, you know, and and really do that with their players. Nothing against football. I enjoy watching it. I just think it's a unique game. And if we come together, it's going to continue to improve. Yeah. I mean, have you ever sat down and just thought to yourself, gosh, what would have happened in 1988 if, you know, a, another golf uh, entity would have come to you and said, here, we're going to give you this ridiculous life-changing amount of money to leave the PGA Tour? I mean, I, I can't even imagine what these players are tasked with. Have you ever yourself thought about, gosh, what would I have done? Because, you know, obviously 
our our you know whole economy is set up around you know making the most money and these guys are, are you know you'd make good money as a, as a PGA golfer but you make just ridiculous money as a live golfer so I, I couldn't even imagine being tasked with that choice I'm sure it's a hard choice and I don't criticize those who've decided to do it I really don't I do think though it goes back to you have to decide what your value structure is uh, does having like you said. I don't know what word you use, whether it's obscene amount of money or gigantic amount of money. Is that really what makes people happy? <laughs> In my life, I've played with some incredibly very prominent, wealthy people. All of them were just happy and, and tickled to death. Some of them were very unhappy folks. So I really think it's about what, what is your value structure? If, if you can do that and keep your life in order, wonderful. You know, and it does provide some security. Money can be a security for people. Um, but I think if that's your only motivation, I think you might feel empty at the end of the day. I fell in love with golf as a kid because it was so cool. We're out in a, a beautiful park setting. Golf courses are gorgeous. And, and you could walk down the fairways with your friends and family. You could compete against yourself in the course. And at the end, I may have won, but I didn't go hit you over the head to win. I performed better than you that day. And so I think a person's got to analyze. I always like also having that record of what the great players before me had done. It meant a lot to me to win at Doral where Nicholas has won and, and Billy Casper has won and Ray Floyd has won and all these great players have won. Because uh, I could compare an accomplishment uh, to maybe somebody else who is good at the game. Uh, this new tour, and they'll have a history eventually if they continue to play, but right now there's none of that tradition, which I always enjoyed. And I also enjoyed the camaraderie of having friends on tour that I could, you know, our families could have a bite to eat together at night. Uh, we could play practice rounds together. I'm sure those guys will develop it over there. But I think it's just about could I have resisted it? I think it's just about where you put your priorities and what, what's most important to you. Yeah, that's, that's a very good lesson for people to sit back and actually listen to what you just said and think about because that's that's a wonderful point you make. And you know, live and PGA aside, let's push them aside and just look apples to apples. You know, when you won, you took home in 1988 money, a quarter of a million dollars is great. But Cam Smith last year took home $3.6 million. Do you ever think to yourself, geez, I should have been born three decades later? I don't because money is not what motivates me. I feel, I told my wife, the fact that I can go to a restaurant, order a dinner and not worry about can I pay for it, I felt, I feel rich. I, I, I grew up in public golf. We used to pick up my brothers and I. We were allowed to fill up a little metal pail of crabgrass, picking it with a knife at the putting green. As soon as we filled it up, they let us go play golf for free. I thought that was everything, you know. Um, so I, I, I never was – I just never was motivated by that. And I also have to tell you on myself, I got to know Dan Sykes, who was a very successful tour player, won seven times, played a Ryder Cup. He was a Jacksonville product who was very kind to me and kind of encouraged me when I was missing at the tour school. You know, you're good enough to keep going. I know because I've been out there. He was still at the end of his career at the time. And uh, I just always had made it a point to want to enjoy what I was doing and not be bitter that someone got more than me. I remember him saying, well, Mark, when I won my first tournament, it was $12,000 or whatever it was. Um, so when I went to Ralph, I mean, $45,000 was a whole lot of money, uh, uh, whether it's nothing compared to now or not. And it gave me some freedom to make, I could take care of my family. I could help my parents, maybe some other people who were in need. 
do things with what I had earned uh, and use it in a way that made me feel fulfilled. Um, but I have to be honest, when I won the players, it was 225000 It wasn't quite a quarter of a million. <laughs> I thought that was all the money in the world. So I'm not at all bitter that these guys make more because it wouldn't have changed my life any. I, I, it wouldn't have changed my life one bit. So I'm glad that they can get the most out of it. Anybody that works wants to get paid the most they can. That's that's normal, but it never was my motivation. So I'm not. I don't second guess that at all. Oh, that's really cool. So when at what point in your career did you realize that golf course uh, creation, architecture, plan, design? Like when did you say to yourself, I- "I'm actually really good at this too"? Like how do you even find that out? Well, it's a very interesting story. My oldest brother. Uh, started the landscape business in uh, 1971. Uh, and, and he started by, he really was a pioneer. We grew up as kids in, in a middle-class neighborhood mowing, mowing people's yards for $5 and working in the yards and raking leaves and all that stuff. It was a way to make money in the summer. Well, we also, all of us worked on the golf course growing up, mowing greens, driving the tractors. So we really had a, a sense of working with our hands with the earth. And all of us loved it. But my brother literally started the concept in North Florida, and I believe he originated it. Rather than mowing someone's yard, he went around and had the business plan of selling annual contracts for X number of dollars a month. Back then, it was probably 50 or $60. We will maintain your yard. We'll come every once a week. We'll do this in the fall, blah, blah, blah. From that, we built a, a really thriving landscape maintenance business. It grew into a landscape design. We hired a couple of architects out of the University of Florida. I took course at the University of Florida on horticulture and landscape. And, and we, we developed a really good business, but we always wanted to build a golf course. And so our first few little things were like put irrigation in uh, on a couple of holes that we modeled. Uh, we got into building a few tees for a new golf course. And then a man, uh, Mr. Paul Armstrong and Frank Brown were two developers in North Florida who we did all their landscaping for all their developments. They bought a piece of land in Middleburg, Florida called the Ravines. We named it the Ravines later, uh, just south of Jacksonville. And it was absolutely breathtaking. 80, 90 foot elevation change in Florida. You thought you think you're up in North Carolina mountains. We talked to him in letting us brothers do a land plan, build the roads, we built the golf course. They gave us 30 of the lots to sell to raise money to build the course, and we built the ravines, which after it was done was one of the top 10 raised in the state of Florida. So we kind of got into it that way, not the average way, but we always loved working with our hands. And we took a landscape business and grew it into a construction company and a design company. So that that's the origin of that. And uh, we are back, you know, the economy's uh, – uh, golf economies pick back up, so we're back busy again, and we I couldn't be happier. Now, that, that story you told right there, that is truly the American dream, and I think that's probably why you have such a good uh, outlook on money and developing things, because you literally started from scratch, whereas many golfers, you know, they get to learn golf from a young age, and they're golfing, and then, you know, they're golfing through high school, and they don't have to put in a lot of that type of work, you know, where where you're literally hands in the dirt type of thing. So, Mark, that is that's a really cool story, and you know, should be an inspiration to a lot of people. Well, that, that's nice of you to say that. It's just I've always loved working with my hands, and golf is working with your hands. I mean, 
I've had, I've had, uh, I, I've taken care of my own lawn for years. I don't anymore. I do love, I have planted gardens and I, and I love to, I love to piddle in the yard. But for years I had a, a turf grass backyard. I had a bunker that I built. I had a green in my yard. We get it up to 40 yard shots in it. And I would double cup that green every morning when I was home. I had a triplex John Deere mower, and I love from the house. Patty, look, I striped the backyard like Augusta. <laughs> I just have always enjoyed it. it I, I, I've never been into, well, I'll tell you, I'll put it this way. When I, to this day, smell freshly mown Bermuda, it's almost like a flashback to me. It reminds me of my youth. It's a, it's one, it brings back good memories, like a song that you like. and It's just something I've always enjoyed. Yeah, and I, I still mow my own lawn. I think I'm the only person in my neighborhood that actually does that. But there is a satisfaction. And my parents ran, you know, my dad, and my grandfather ran a lawn business when they first came to Florida in 1981 because they, there just weren't a lot of them then. And so uh, you're right, the, the smell of fresh cut grass. And then when you get done, you've edged, mowed, weed whacked, cleaned up. And boy, it's got a sharp look. So I can definitely appreciate what you're saying. We've got something in common as I laugh. You know, you mow it, and the grass is, if you're not bagging it, the grass is on the thing. It doesn't look great yet. And then and then you trim it, and then you then, then you blow it off, and then you rake everything up, and then you trim, and then you edge, and it's like, wow, it's a masterpiece. It all comes together. It, it gives me instant satisfaction of something I did with my hands. You know, I love it. Yeah, and when my eight-year-old daughter gets home and she says, Dad, you mowed the grass, to me, someone noticing, even if it's my own small child, that makes a difference, doesn't it? I think it's unbelievable. Yeah, I do. And I think that work ethic is so valuable to learn, too, you know. Uh, and I've always been taught, whatever you do, do do it whole soul. Do the best you can, you know. And I try to apply that to my golf, and we try to apply that to our golf course design business because I really enjoy what I do, and I want to I wanna deliver a product that whoever I'm working for is going to be happy and proud of. Yep, and I can tell you another thing we have in common is Way back in 1999, I was in my fourth year at the University of Florida, Go Gators. Uh, the first beat I ever covered for the student paper, the Alligator, was the golf beat. And so I got to follow around the men's and women's golf teams. And, you know, luckily my career has blossomed from there 25 almost years later. So, uh, you know, we, we bleed orange and blue. And also I understand your son played there too. And, uh, you know, he's a pro golfer. So, so your son is Tyler. Tell us a little bit about him. Not only my son, my nephew Josh uh, played at Florida. Both both of them in, in their day were captains of the Florida golf team, both all Americans. Uh, and I say that just meaning they were recognized as being really good college players. Tyler is in his third year on tour. He's right now on a medical leave because he had a serious shoulder problem that had to be a totally kind of redo his left shoulder. He, he'll be out probably a full year, but well, it'll be more than a full year. But the morning of his tea time at the players last year, the shoulder had been acting up, and he just couldn't go. It was killing him. And uh, one of the recommendations was to do therapy and rest it for four months, which he did. And when he tried to come back, it still wasn't right. So he had a, a rebuild. I don't know how to explain it, but they had to put four anchors into his shoulder, his left shoulder, that uh, to fix the problem at the uh, Stedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado. Uh, and uh, they really did a wonderful, wonderful job. He is just now back hitting balls, practicing, testing the shoulder. Got to be careful as he works his way in. I think he'll probably be back uh, playing golf for a living uh, sometime in early summer. So that's his goal, but it's a full year off. But he enjoys it. He, uh, 
He enjoys travel very much. He enjoys meeting people. He enjoys different cultures. He's actually enjoyed playing all over the world. He's played in South America, in Canada, Australia, New Zealand. So before he got on tour, and now as a tour player, as you know, they travel a bunch. So, um, yeah, and I enjoy watching him. You know, there's still always that, uh, you know, brings back memories of how I felt on the golf course. I do have to be honest. I'm always telling him, just try your best. It's not who you are. It's what you do. Try to give him all those words of wisdom, and then I catch myself on the sideline when I get the chance to watch him, being very nervous, and I say, Mark, you got to <laughs> practice what you preach. <laughs> and he'll look over at me, Dad, you look like you were anxious. And, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep, definitely. I hear you there. Well, you know, what What are you up to these days? I, You know, like I mentioned earlier, you're going to be uh, doing analysis and calling the Players' Championship, but as far as courses go, what projects are you working on? Uh, where might we see you putting more of your magic together like you did last year in Melbourne? Well, hopefully, the plan is over the next five years to redo the entire uh, Sun Tree complex, not redesign it. You know, recontour, reposition, bunkering, uh, change some different areas on the course that they maybe have been happy with through the years. Whenever a course has been built as an architect, you want it to be the best you can when you first open. But think of the equipment changes. Think of agronomy changes. A lot of courses want to change their grasses to the more modern hybrid Bermudas where we live in Florida. There's a lot of reasons, you know, roughly every 20 years for there to be kind of a redo. So that's what we're looking forward to there. Uh, I'm just now in a little teeny thing right here in Northeast Florida, throwing a little short game plan together for a public golf course in Fernandina. And whether we get that job or not, I don't know. Uh, but I, I put the same effort, whether it's a little thing or a big thing. And I'm not going to tell you where, but not far from your alma mater, we're involved in a project there. Uh, hopefully it'll be announced soon, but it's exciting. And, uh, and, and the phone's ringing more. We, we've got a project down in Boca, uh, in the Boca area that's uh, in the planning stages. So that work has picked up. You know, for several years, after 2008 and 2009, there was no new work. More courses were closing in the United States than were opening. And thankfully, we're getting past that. The business of golf is one of the few things that thrived during COVID. People could get outside, it was safe, and so the game picked up. Who would have figured that something as horrible as that pandemic would have a positive effect on the game of golf, but it did. Oh, that's really cool to hear. And So you've teased you a little bit of Nugget where uh, maybe somewhere in Alachua, maybe Marion, uh, maybe it's far down as the villages, who knows, but you're going to be somewhere in that area of the world working on something. <laughs> yeah, you'll find out soon, and it's pretty special. As you know, there are some Florida is a flat state, but there's a few places in the outskirts of Gainesville, and even when you go through Ocala, there's some beautiful terrain. And when I think of when I think of what makes a great golf course, I've never thought it's mostly the architect. I believe it's our creator who gave us this beautiful earth and the land and the movement. What can you have for natural attributes of land? You can have elevation change. You can have bodies of water. Obviously, the Pacific Ocean at Pebble Beach makes that just ridiculously gorgeous. Or the stream race creek running through Augusta gives it charm. It can be lakes and then vegetation, trees. So when you get a piece of property that has all those factors, I just feel like as the architect, it's up to me to enhance that. And I've never tried to build a golf course that looks man-made or contrived, make it look like it's been there for a long time. So uh, we're excited about that project and, and any others that we happen to do over the next couple of years. All righty. Well, when you're ready to break that news, either let me know or your good friend Gary Smith's 
at the Times Union who helped set up this interview. I'll make you a deal. I'll do that. There you go. Perfect. Well, again, where can we hear you? Where can we listen to you during the Players' Championship? And uh, where can people tune in and, and find all your great coverage? I am one of the several analysts. I work about nine or ten events a year for uh, PGA Tour Radio, which is on XM Satellite Radio. Um, so we will have, wow, we have extended coverage this week, uh, excuse me, the week of the players. Normally we cover six hours of golf normally on Thursday and Friday, which is a long broadcast, and five hours on Saturday and Sunday. For the players' championship, we'll be doing seven hours on Thursday and Friday, and we'll be doing six hours on Saturday and Sunday. we got a great team of guys, uh, a couple of ex-tour players, um, uh, some great voices who know the game well. And it's kind of fun. Uh, when I did television, you're taught to not talk over the picture, let the picture talk for you so there is silence. Uh, but in radio, uh, probably fits my talkative nature. You've got to describe every emotion. You know, he's making a waggle right to left. The wind is blowing his hair. You've got to paint the whole picture. Uh, so it, it's very, uh, very uh, energy-consuming, but it's exciting. And I, I think people will enjoy listening to on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. And Hopefully we're going to get better weather than last year because when I was there last year, I feel like uh, it rained for days and days and we might have had to break out the arc towards Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it's funny you say that because my son's first round tee time didn't even happen until Friday morning. And so they were trying to get all the golf in and he had to be at the course and his shoulder had been bothering him for a couple of months and he knew it was getting worse and he didn't want to just mask the pain by taking cortisone. He knew that would be only a temporary fix. So I remember going out with him to watch him warm up, and it was hurting him, and it was wet. The course was underwater. It was chilly and cold. And I'm thinking if he plays today, man, that's that's going to be a tough day to play if you're healthy. And I think he made the right decision that he needs to get it fixed, and there's no reason to try to play in this kind of weather. He would have had to play all day long, you know, maybe 36 holes and injured. That's not something you really should do. No, absolutely not. It was looking for a minute there, like – they might have to push it into a Tuesday, which would have been crazy. But luckily, they got it done. But uh, definitely better weather this year. Well, Mark, I appreciate you joining me. You've been more than generous with your time. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience before I let you go? No, no. I just, uh, you know, I've, I've always felt very grateful that I got to, like I said earlier, got to do something that, you know, I used to pay to do. I used to pay a green or pick a bucket of crabgrass so they'd let me play golf. The fact that I could do something, maybe people got enjoyment of watching us on the PGA Tour it was a sport that I thought carried a lot of great values. Uh, it, it allowed you to uh, deal with adversity and how you handle it. I feel like I learned more from golf than I ever gave to it. But I, I really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. I hope we get to meet in person during the players. Yeah, I will be up there. Mark McCumber, 10-time winner and the 1988 Players' Championship winner. And that will do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And before I let you go... I want to tell you that Alan Shepard was not only the first American in space, but he's also the only person to hit a golf ball while on the moon as part of the Apollo 14 mission. After clumsily hitting the ball, he was asked how far it went, and he jokingly said, Miles and miles and miles. The video evidence might dispute that, but we won't assess him a penalty shot. Thanks for listening, and join me again next time. 